Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of incest and sexual situations. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It was a typical morning in the 10th year of Akhenaten's reign, about 1343 BCE. As the sun rose over ancient Egypt, the young pharaoh set about on his daily routine. He boarded his luxurious golden chariot, the Bentley of its day, and left the royal palace. He had a large group of bodyguards running at his side, keeping watch for possible assassins. Speeding down the royal road, Akhenaten was greeted by large crowds of his capital's citizens. Most cheered for him as he passed. But if someone didn't, the bodyguards encouraged them with their clubs. Reaching the house of Aten, Akhenaten looked over the offerings made to the solar god. He was mostly satisfied with the great mounds of fruit, vegetables, and meat piled high, and all left to spoil. But he also knew the offerings weren't enough. Akhenaten had done so much to honor the Aten and show his people its glory. But his new Egypt was still tainted. Many citizens ignored the Aten. They still worshipped traditional gods like Osiris, Bes, Ptah, and most concerning of all, the rival sun god, Amun. Akhenaten was tired of the lackluster support among his people the pharaoh decided Egypt needed a drastic cure. Standing in the temple of his one true god, Akhenaten vowed to cleanse Egypt and destroy any mortal or god who stood in his way. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last week, we explored the origins of Egypt's 18th dynasty, Akhenaten's early adoption of the Aten deity, and his decision to build a new capital city. This week, we'll look at the police state Akhenaten created, his complicated family life, and the tumultuous downfall of his dynasty. We'll have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Akhenaten was born sometime between 1370 and 1360 BCE, a member of what we call Egypt's 18th dynasty. While we know little about his early life, we can safely assume that he was exposed to the cult of personality of his father, Amenhotep III. A key feature of that personality cult was worshipping the solar disk called the Aten. It was portrayed as a sun with rays of light ending in human hands. It was considered an aspect of the sun god, Ra. However, when Akhenaten came to power, he claimed that the Aten itself was a god, and greater than any other god. Its imagery became tied to Akhenaten's dynasty and the power of the pharaoh. A few years after he took power around 1350 BCE, Akhenaten announced that his god needed a new capital city. Akhenaten chose to build it on the east side of the Nile and named the new capital Akhetaten, or the Horizon of the Aten. His primary motivation to build the new capital was likely religious zeal. However, Akhenaten was also concerned about politics. He needed a new home apart from the southern capital city Thebes. After all, it was the headquarters of Akhenaten's enemy, the Amun priesthood. Amun was associated with the sun, like the Aten. In previous generations, its priesthood had become very wealthy, influential, and powerful. As rivals for power over the people, Akhenaten and the Amun priesthood were naturally hostile to each other. In Akhenaten's view, Egypt simply wasn't big enough for both sun gods. But since his religious vision was so new, he couldn't rely on the support of the traditional cults. So the military became one of Akhenaten's primary bases of support. Akhenaten glorified the army in government propaganda, specifically the decorative reliefs in his various temples. Though he was not a militaristic king, nor did he engage in any foreign campaigns, Akhenaten clearly understood the importance of keeping the military happy. In exchange, the army showed him unflinching support. Additionally, the pharaoh relied on the devotion of courtiers, who owed their status entirely to him. These were the men that helped Akhenaten build his new city, sometimes literally. Soldiers likely comprised a major part of the labor force. They would also have been joined by ordinary Egyptians, performing labor as a kind of tax. The city took just four years to build and covered 77 square miles when finished. At its heart were two open-air temples dedicated to the Aten. The larger of the two, the House of Aten, was 750 feet long. Interestingly, the individual temples were intended to be just one central part of a greater whole. 
the entire city was designed to act as one massive temple for its up to 50,000 inhabitants. Emphasizing the importance of the solar deity, the city's temples were designed so that the sun could be seen overhead at any time of day. Many of the images in the royal city depicted Akhenaten and his wife Nefertiti. They were often shown making offerings to the Aten or bestowing rewards on their loyal courtiers. Unlike other temples, the focus was not solely on the god itself, but also on the royal family worshipping the god. This new capital was the physical manifestation of the pharaoh's ambition to impose his revolutionary ideology on Egypt. With his new capital, Akhenaten promised a simpler, less corrupt future. There would be only one god, and all earthly power would be held by the pharaoh alone. To emphasize his purity, Akhenaten added the epithet Ankh and Ma'at, which means living on truth when he officially changed his name from Amenhotep IV to Akhenaten. Thus, Akhenaten proclaimed he would restore order to Egypt. To ensure this so-called proper order, Akhenaten got to work eliminating the old gods. At the very least, he wanted to greatly diminish them in relation to the Aten. First, he put an end to the traditional festivals around which the people structured their lives. During these festivals, images of the gods were carried out of their temples in sacred processions. These were replaced by a daily procession of the royal family, from the palace to the temple and back, intended to symbolize the sun's path across the sky and the city's people were expected to line the way and cheer. Even though ordinary Egyptians were likely confused or even scornful of this new practice, Akhenaten's soldiers stood by to make sure they paid the family the proper respect. Furthermore, in the new capital, images of the old gods were suppressed. Secretly, however, ordinary people continued to pray to the old gods. Still, Akhenaten's agenda prevailed. The royal family and the sole supreme deity were now inseparable. Akhenaten's behavior suggests that he sincerely wished to dedicate his life to his beloved deity. However, he couldn't spend all of his time worshipping the Aten. After all, he had an entire kingdom to run. So shortly after moving into his palace in the new capital, Akhenaten appointed a man named Merira as the high priest of the Aten. Merira's accomplishments before becoming high priest are completely unknown. More than likely, he was a courtier or other sycophant who was rewarded with the position. With the glorious new capital complete, Akhenaten undoubtedly felt a keen sense of satisfaction. Untrustworthy government officials had been replaced by men loyal only to him. He had undermined the Amun priesthood while building a magnificent home for his god. But it wasn't enough. Akhenaten wanted his new religion to live on forever. So he mandated a new religious text that taught Egyptians to pray to the Aten and to the Pharaoh. If they didn't, brutal punishment would be swift. However, instead of cementing his religious dynasty, this ruthless tactic was the first step to Akhenaten's ignoble end. 
Coming up, Akhenaten imposes his will on a helpless Egyptian populace. We all have grief and traumas in our life, but that doesn't mean they have to control us. Hi, I'm David Kessler, host of Healing with David Kessler. For most of us, our instinct is to hide our pain and never discuss it. But as a grief and loss expert, I'm here to tell you, without a doubt, that talking is healing. Anger, abuse, guilt, shame, they're all part of grief and trauma. Healing with David Kessler gets to the root of these issues, shares tips for persevering, and reveals that behind every dark emotion lies wisdom and hope. Loss and trauma may seem overwhelming, but healing is possible, and I'm here to help. Healing with David Kessler is a Spotify original from Parcast. Hear a new episode every Tuesday, free and only on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now back to the story. In the mid-14th century BCE, the young pharaoh Akhenaten established a new capital city for Egypt and his god. It was called Akhetaten, or the Horizon of the Aten. The entire city was designed as one massive temple dedicated to the solar disk. Its citizens were expected to worship the Aten and the god's representative on Earth, Akhenaten, in equal measure. And although Meri-Ra may have been the high priest of the Aten, Akhenaten proclaimed himself as the god's only prophet. In fact, the pharaoh may have written the Aten's version of the Bible. This holy book was a long hymn poem formerly called The Great Hymn to the Aten, but rather ominously referred to as the teaching. The text praises the Aten, declaring, You shine forth in beauty on the horizon of heaven, O living Aten, the creator of life. When you rise on the eastern horizon, you fill every land with your beauty. On the one hand, the hymn is a clear expression of Akhenaten's love for his god. In fact, it has been hailed as one of the greatest poems to survive from ancient Egypt. But the poem also has a more subtle, sinister undertone. For example, it also says, There is none who knows you, Aten, except your son, Akhenaten. For you make him aware of your plans and your strength. These verses suggest that no one was allowed to communicate with the Aten but the Pharaoh, which ensured that his interpretation of the Aten's will became law. He was the only one who knew what the god wanted, and only he could answer prayers. 
Akhenaten's holy book ensured his will was absolute. But as the pharaoh's power and reputation grew to mystical levels, ordinary Egyptians were suffering. Examination of bones from this period reveal that those who lived in the shadows of Akhenaten's temples suffered short and brutal lives. While Akhenaten and his priests piled heaps of food to spoil as offerings to the Aten, the poor were often starving, especially the children. Racked by disease and malnutrition, more than half died before they reached adulthood. But Akhenaten was more concerned with people worshipping him as a god than if they had enough to eat. This turned many ordinary Egyptians away from worshipping him or the Aten. Most still prayed to Bes, Osiris, or Amun, though never while the pharaoh's officers could see them. And although Akhenaten suppressed worship of the old gods, he also co-opted their imagery for his own cult. The old gods were frequently grouped into trinities, often of a father, mother, and son, like with Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Akhenaten co-opted the tradition and imposed a new holy trinity on Egypt, himself, his wife Nefertiti, and the Aten. Citizens were expected to keep images or sculptures of the trio in their home shrines. It served as a constant reminder that all health, wealth, and happiness was a gift bestowed by the royal family. The size of a shrine reflected one's loyalty to the regime and their position within it. The larger the shrine, the more favor you'd be shown. As a member of the New Holy Trinity, Nefertiti played a central role in Akhenaten's religion. However, she was not the first wife of a pharaoh to wield great influence. Royal women had exercised their own agency in the government for generations. In some cases, women were pharaohs in their own right. One reason for the prevalence of powerful royal women was the custom of a pharaoh marrying his sister. Several 18th dynasty pharaohs had married their full or half-sisters, a practice inspired by stories of the gods themselves. Nefertiti's origins are not clear, as the two were married sometime before Akhenaten became pharaoh. She was most likely Akhenaten's maternal first cousin. She also may have been his aunt. In her earliest images, she was not depicted as much in the same revolutionary art style as her husband. However, Nefertiti was soon rendered in the new style, a mark of her increasing importance in her husband's theology. She even had her own temple at Epetsut, which did not have a single image of her husband. In the temple's reliefs, Nefertiti is shown carrying out actions which were usually reserved for the king including inspecting prisoners, smiting captives, and maintaining the cosmic order. Much of the regime's other iconography depicted Akhenaten and Nefertiti in intimate, even affectionate terms. Often they can be seen holding hands. In one image, Nefertiti sits on her husband's lap and ties a necklace on him. Another shows them getting into bed together. And their union was certainly fruitful. By the second year of Akhenaten's residency at the new capital, he and Nefertiti had six daughters together. They too were adoringly showcased in royal propaganda. 
One relief shows Akhenaten cradling and kissing his daughter Meritaten, while another daughter, Akhesenpaten, tugs on her mother's earring. For one of the first times in Egyptian history, the pharaoh's family was shown in a sweet, relatable, domestic manner. Of course, the images served another purpose. Akhenaten, whether he was truly as affectionate as portrayed, wanted the royal family to be the new model for domestic stability. Like propaganda posters showing a laughing dictator surrounded by joyous citizens, Akhenaten was eager to present a benevolent pharaoh surrounded by love. As Akhenaten strove to refashion Egyptian society, his interest in foreign affairs evaporated. Previous pharaohs of the 18th dynasty imposed their will over Syria and Palestine to establish Egypt's imperial power. Akhenaten, on the other hand, had little interest in diplomacy or war. With the pharaoh's gaze turned inward, his northern vassals quarreled amongst themselves. One of these vassals wrote of the dire situation, warning the pharaoh, quote, You are going to come into an empty house. Everything is gone. Akhenaten responded by saying that he complained too much and permitted the situation in Egypt's vassal territories to deteriorate even further. Subsequently, Egypt's international prestige suffered. The country was on the path to becoming a hermit kingdom. Akhenaten's focus remained on transforming Egypt. He sought to purge the nation of its impure elements and consolidate his power. And no element was more impure or threatening than his old adversary, the Amun priesthood. About ten years into his reign, the pharaoh's puritanism reached a fever pitch. He declared his intention to cleanse the Aten faith of all references to other gods. Akhenaten ordered their statues be smashed, their images defaced, and their names erased. From the Nile Delta to Nubia, the king's officers attacked temples and broke open tombs. As many of the workmen assigned to erase the names of the gods were illiterate, they were given cue cards displaying the specific images and words to be destroyed. These servants of Pharaoh barged into the sacred spaces in temples and climbed up towering obelisks to chisel away the offending names. Even the names of people which included Amun were defaced, including that of Akhenaten's own father, Amenhotep III. Pharaoh even banned the plural form of the word God. He struck down the entire concept that there was more than one God. Fear and paranoia swept through Egypt. To protect themselves, many citizens didn't wait for Pharaoh's workmen to come to their homes. Instead, they took it upon themselves to destroy and deface their own possessions. Rather than affecting the whole population, there is a strong possibility that the brunt of this repression fell on Egypt's elites. They alone had the power to challenge Akhenaten, and thus had to be kept in line more than others. It's also possible that the vast majority of this repression took place only within the capital. In the rest of the country, Pharaoh's government may have simply been unable to fully suppress the old religion. 
But no matter how far it reached, the Cultural Revolution would not have been popular. Thus, Akhenaten went to great lengths to root out resistance and ensure his own safety. A large security detachment escorted him on his daily rides. Outside the city, detachments of military chariots patrolled day and night on the lookout for outlaws and dissidents. And adjacent to Akhenaten's palace was a barracks housing a paramilitary security force. Further evidence of the regime's oppressive nature can be seen in the reliefs of tombs and temples. Those entrusted to carry out Pharaoh's will are shown receiving his favor from a special balcony called the Window of Appearance. From this distant and majestic vantage point, Akhenaten dispensed royal patronage and guidance. This cultural revolution was almost certainly motivated by Akhenaten's zeal and hatred of Amun, but it also had a practical side effect. The construction of the new capital had been exceptionally expensive. By attacking the temples, Akhenaten had an excuse to confiscate their great wealth. With the old temples defaced and plundered, Akhenaten's war against the old gods appeared to be a success. They had been defaced and defiled, while the Aten shone as brightly as ever. If Akhenaten could just secure his dynasty and grow the roots of Atenism deep into Egyptian culture, he might change the course of history. However, unbeknownst to Akhenaten, his great enemy, the Amun priesthood, survived the crackdown. And now, they wanted revenge. Coming up, Akhenaten's legacy comes under attack. Now back to the story. About 10 years into Akhenaten's reign in the mid-14th century BCE, the pharaoh set out to destroy Egypt's old gods. Amun in particular was targeted, with the gods' temples defaced and their wealth confiscated. Akhenaten needed that wealth to perpetuate the regime, but to secure his legacy, he also needed an heir. Nefertiti was known as one of the most beautiful women of her era and was beloved by the pharaoh. She and Akhenaten had six daughters, but no sons. To produce an heir, a pharaoh would have turned to other women and had multiple wives. Some of these women held there were foreign princesses, while others were chosen for more explicit reasons. However, there is a possibility that Akhenaten may have had incestuous relationships with his own daughters and had children by them. While sibling marriages were reflected in the relationships of the gods, father-daughter relationships were rarer and less acceptable. However, Akhenaten, if he did indeed have incestuous relationships with his own children, may have viewed himself as above the morality of mere mortals. As a living god, he was immune to their rules or judgment. Still, none of these incestuous relationships resulted in the heir Akhenaten needed. Eventually, he did have a son, Tutankhaten, but he was born to another wife whose identity remains uncertain. With his bloodline secured and the attack on Amun and the other gods well underway, Akhenaten felt confident enough to claim an even greater status. Until now, he was considered the Aten's intermediate on Earth. 
But near the end of his reign, he seems to have made one last dramatic shift. In ancient Egypt, years were counted not as they are today, but from the beginning of the pharaoh's reign. So in contemporary records, Akhenaten's reign wasn't recorded as beginning in 1353 BCE, but rather as year one of Akhenaten. However, late in his reign, the records changed. They no longer said year 12 of Akhenaten, but rather year 12 of the Aten. Thus, either Akhenaten decreed the Aten was Egypt's true pharaoh, or he proclaimed that he was the Aten. Perhaps Akhenaten was no longer satisfied with being the god's prophet. Instead, he wanted to be the one true god. Around this time, Akhenaten's second daughter died, possibly while giving birth to an incestuous child. Additionally, during this time, Nefertiti disappears from the historical record. Her disappearance was followed by the sudden elevation of a new co-regent called Smenkare. While the true identity of this co-regent is not entirely clear, it may have actually been Nefertiti promoted from royal wife to co-pharaoh. Unfortunately, during these last few years of Akhenaten's reign, we know almost nothing about the pharaoh's life. One satirical set of images from this time depicts monkeys acting like pharaohs, suggesting that Akhenaten's reign had become a farce. It may be that as Akhenaten's mind and body deteriorated, the pace of persecution slackened. The co-regent Smenkare seems to have eased up on repression, and the Amun priesthood was permitted to worship openly again. As Akhenaten withered away in his final years, it became clear that no one else had the zeal to continue his teachings. In the autumn of 1336 BCE, Akhenaten died from unknown causes. He had ruled for 17 tumultuous years. He was buried in his unfinished royal tomb. Alongside his coffin was a 1,000-year-old stone bowl which had belonged to King Khafra, the man many believed was the builder of the Great Sphinx. He was also buried with Shabti figurines. These were traditionally considered servants in the afterlife and were completely at odds with Akhenaten's theology. It seems that in the end, the Aten's prophet wanted to hedge his eternal bets. As often happens after the death of a dictator with a vast cult of personality, Akhenaten's death likely threw the country into chaos. Few details are known, but undoubtedly the elites struggle to keep Akhenaten's regime afloat. Though for the poor who starved while the Aten's offerings spoiled, the pharaoh's death must have been a welcome relief. But those who had survived Akhenaten's purges believed the time had come for their revenge. They wanted to turn back the clock and undo all of Akhenaten's heretical work. They just needed a new compliant pharaoh whom they could control. The perfect candidate was Akhenaten's nine-year-old son, Tutankhaten. After a very short reign, Smenkare either died or was removed from power. Tutankhaten then became pharaoh with the support of influential priests, army officers, and government officials. 
One of the new pharaoh's first acts was to change his name. Tutankhaten became Tutankhamun. Then, under the guidance of powerful officials, he began the undoing of his father's work. The priesthood of Amun was once again favored. The fate of Akhenaten's henchmen is unknown, but it can be safely assumed that they were dismissed or quietly executed. Tutankhamun released a decree which undoubtedly had been written by his guardians. It criticized the policies of his father and avoided mentioning his name. It read, quote, When His Majesty became king, the temples of the gods and goddesses had fallen into ruin. The land was in distress. The gods had abandoned this land. Reversing Akhenaten's policies, Tutankhamun's government restored the old temples, particularly those of Amun-Ra. The royal treasury paid for the construction of new divine statues to replace those destroyed by Akhenaten. Almost immediately, his father's capital was abandoned and the court was moved to Thebes. Gradually, the temples and palaces of Akhetaten were torn down. The cult of the Aten laid low. In the coming years, the radical theology of Akhenaten was scrubbed away and abandoned. Tutankhamun, or King Tut, remains one of the most famous pharaohs today, but his reign lasted only 10 years. He died in 1322 BCE, around the age of 19. He may have died from natural causes, or he may have been assassinated before he could assert his independence. His usefulness in eradicating Akhenaten's legacy may have run its course. About 40 years later, the 18th dynasty came to an end. The memory of Akhenaten was condemned, and eventually he was forgotten completely. Evidence of his regime was only rediscovered in the 19th century. Ironically, given Akhenaten's hatred of Amun and his zeal to destroy the god's cult, it actually thrived after his death. In about 1100 BCE, the high priest of Amun made himself pharaoh and decreed that Amun was the true king of Egypt, governing the land through oracles. Much of the foundation for this change was laid by Akhenaten himself, as it was he who radically altered the relationship between Egyptians and their gods. According to historian Jacobus van Dyck, Akhenaten's reign is perhaps the single most important event in Egypt's religious and cultural history, and it left deep scars on the collective consciousness of its inhabitants. Nothing would ever be the same again. Akhenaten, building on the policies of his father, had attempted to institute the worship of a single god. He failed in making the Aten that deity, but he inadvertently laid the foundation for a new kind of god, omnipotent, omniscient, and one who interceded directly in the lives of his worshippers. Akhenaten may have introduced the world's first monotheistic religion. Whatever his motivations, this implementation was cruel, oppressive, and violent, a prime example of a dictator among Egypt's pharaohs. Thanks for listening to Dictators. 
Among the many sources we used, we found Nicholas Reeves' Akhenaten, Egypt's False Prophet, and Toby Wilkinson's The Rise and Fall of Ancient Egypt incredibly helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Dictators was written by Devin Hughes, with writing assistance by Tony Goodman and Andrew Messer, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Bradley Klein. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Hi, I'm David Kessler, host of Healing with David Kessler. As an expert on grief and loss, I know that healing doesn't mean forgetting or getting over the trauma. It means that the trauma no longer controls you. Join me each week for insights on how to find peace and learn how it's possible to persevere through anything. Healing with David Kessler is a Spotify original from Parcast. Listen every Tuesday, free and only on Spotify.